I don't know about you, but the air I breathe is becoming a little more humid and But you know, it's okay. The fans are working, and uh, it's okay. <laughs> we'll make it. Uh, the message this morning is about our charge to be peacemakers. Our charge to be peacemakers. Now, before we begin, um, I think we all pretty much do this naturally. We, we just don't want strife, strife in our life, and when it rears its ugly head, we want to take care of it as quickly as possible and the Spirit of God just impresses upon us uh, abundantly the, the need to, to, to make peace. And, um, but I thought we'd take a look biblically at it. The, the Word of God has, has quite a bit to say and uh, so uh, we'll get started. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to be here today on celebrating this Memorial Day weekend and, and all that it means to our nation. And, and Father, we um, uh, just uh, think of the, the wars that have, that have gone on over the, over the decades and centuries and, and um, uh, the, the lack of peacemaking that, that, that is present in this world right up to and including today. And Lord, um, among people and among groups and so on. And so Lord, we just pray that we might... Uh, focus upon the need for this from the Word of God and uh, that uh, you would help us to, uh, to glean whatever uh, we need to uh, from this opportunity. And we uh, just praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Right off the bat, um, the Lord discusses uh, the peacemakers in right smack in the middle of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. It says, that verse says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. So this is something that, that God expects us as believers to, um, to pursue uh, at all cost. And um, uh, the Lord brings it up right here in the Beatitudes. Now, uh, Pastor Mike spoke to us about Goliath's demise and, and David's involvement with that. And following his demise, uh, King Saul quickly developed a strong hatred toward David. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And beginning with verse 6. Now it happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that's Goliath, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Uh-oh. We've got a problem that's that this is going to cause a problem to develop that, uh, with this, this guy Saul, King Saul, because he's been upstaged, hasn't he? Um, he shouldn't look at it that way. 
He should give, be willing to give credit where credit is due, but he's not going to look at it that way. Ain't going to happen. So um, uh, they were coming home, it says here, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, and the women sang as they danced, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul's response or uh, uh, reaction to this is recorded nicely here in verse 8. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Not good enough. Only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? And in fact, he would have the kingdom, wouldn't he? So, um, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. When it says here that Saul eyed David from that day forward, it means he was suspicious, suspicious and vengeful toward him, toward David. Verse 10 says, And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house, so David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. David would comfort Saul when this evil spirit would raise its head, whenever it would, and uh, by his, his music. And it was, it was fairly effective, but uh, it was not permanent. It did not help Saul in the long run uh, because he just had this propensity to, uh, to, to seek evil. So here he is with a spear in his hand. Verse 11, And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now, let's reflect back for a minute to 1 Samuel chapter 15. That's where we read the story about Samuel relating to, to, uh, to Saul the, the command from God to destroy Amalek and to completely destroy them, the, the king and all the people and the oxen, the sheep, all the livestock, and leave nothing alive. And as we, we realize, uh, as, as he actually attempted to do that, he did it his own way. He kept the king alive and the best of the oxen and the sheep and made excuses why he did that. And because of his disobedience, he was rejected from being king. Now, he was still effectively king for some time after that, but eventually um, he was deposed because uh, God couldn't have a man like that that wasn't going to obey him uh, in charge of things. Um, now, here he is, David... I mean, let's think about this for a minute. David has stepped in to get Saul out of a huge jam. Here are the Philistines arrayed against Israel and Goliath challenging oh, someone from Israel to fight him, and David steps forward. Now, you would think that Saul would be so appreciable for what David had done. I would think so. But here he is, ready to, to kill David and cast this spear at him with that in mind. I will pin David to the wall. Now, 
when we reflect on this, uh, I, I think that we would have to say that Saul's elevator somewhere along the line stopped going to the top floor. It's not, it ain't making it anymore. It may be used to. There was some time in his life that, that he was probably sane and, and rational, but uh, not anymore. All right, and picking it up in verse 12, Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore, for Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand, him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. Here it tells us that again. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. No matter what, how fearful Saul became of the situation, he did not desire to have a relationship with God like David had. And yet, as we move along in our study this morning, we're going to see that even David fell into this trap. So, um, if you skip to verse 30, 1 Samuel 18.30, it says, Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. And yet Saul still desires to kill him. He con David continues to be a boon to Saul, to be a respite, and yet Saul is so interested in his own pride and his own uh, what people think of him that uh, he wants David out of the picture, no matter how much of an asset he is. So his name became highly esteemed. Now, concerning our, our uh, subject matter, um, to be peacemakers, here comes the peacemaker, or the arbitrator, in the person of Saul's son, Jonathan to hopefully bring peace between Saul and David. Now we have a process in the word of God among us as church members to handle situations like this. It's in Matthew chapter 18. If any situation causes strife between people, we have the process of that, the Matthew 18 process to deal with it and to resolve it. Now here's Jonathan, and he's going to play the role of the arbitrator or the peacemaker, or attempt to at least. So in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse 1, if you'll move to that verse, it says, Now Saul broke, now Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. But Jonathan delighted greatly in David. So Jonathan said to David, My father Saul seeks to kill you. Therefore, please be on your guard until morning and stay in a secret place and hide. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak with my father about you. Then what I observe, 
I will tell you. So Jonathan is, is going to be the go-between here. He's going to talk to his father. And what his father tells him, he's going to go and tell David about it. So David can be aware and be on his, on his guard and so on. Right? But over time, Saul would not relent. This relationship between David and Jonathan went on for, for some time and uh, was a, a wonderful relationship that helped David immensely. But over time, Saul would not relent of, of his uh, desire to kill David. So David was forced to flee with an army of several hundred men. All right, well, let's skip ahead to 1 Samuel chapter 25. 1 Samuel chapter 25. Now, at this point, Saul has been pursuing David for four years. And there was a lot of time left uh, for him to be under the siege of that pursuit. But he's in a different place now, David is, with his, with his men. And um, we're going to see what, what happens here, especially in David's life, as, we, as he's, he encounters this man Nabal. Picking it up in verse 2 of chapter 25, there was a rich man in Maon named Nabal who had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. He had a godly wife named Abigail. Very important in the story here. But he was harsh and evil and was a descendant of Caleb. Would that Nabal was of the, the stature of, his, of, of Caleb, of his ancestor who was a very godly man. Now, it seems then that Nabal and Abigail, for whatever reason, have wound up in an unequally yoked marriage, with him being evil and she being righteous. Now, in verses 4 through 8, I'll just relate this to you. Uh, when David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, he sent ten young men to him, having instructed them to greet Nabal kindly and to let him know that they have been protecting his shepherds in the field and to please give a spoil to them for their efforts in watching over Nabal's interests. So picking it up now in verse 9, So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. Now they're going to wait for an answer from Nabal. Verse 10, then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men who I do not know where they are from? Now, okay, you might have missed something here that tells us that... that uh, Nabal knows exactly where David was from. Uh, go back to verse 10, and it says, Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? Nobody told him that. He knows it. He knows who he is. And uh, pretending that he doesn't. So he, he, uh, he's, he, he wants all this, these things for his shearers, and why should I give it to men I do not know where they are from? 
And verse 12, so David's young men turned on their heels and went back. They had been rebuffed firmly. They turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. So now what's, you see what's happening to David here. How quickly, given your situation, that you can be, uh, shrink away from the, the need to be a peacemaker. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword, and about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Do I have any volunteers to go to, 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 to be with the 200? Any volunteers? That's me. I'm there. <laughs> That's where you'll find me. So the rest of them are going up to, uh, to take it to, uh, to Nabal big time. Um, Verses 14 through 18 I'll relate to you here. It's, Meanwhile, one of Nabal's young men told Abigail about his crude rejection of David's request. And that David and his men had been a great benefit on Nabal's behalf, but were now on their way back to Nabal's place with intent to do great harm. So Ab Abigail has been informed now about this. So Abigail loaded a huge supply of food onto donkeys and made haste to intercede on behalf of her husband, but she didn't tell Nabal. In spite of the brutish man that he was, uh, Abigail was faithful and protective of him, trying to glean the best out of the situation in their relationship. So... Um, Abigail loads a huge supply of food onto donkeys and made haste to intercede on behalf of her husband, but she didn't tell Nabal. She could not tell him that she was going to do this because he had just rejected the request for these supplies to David's men. So picking it up in, um, in verse 20, so it was, as she rode on the donkey, that she went down under cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Coming down, it says, she went down under cover of the hill. She wasn't hiding from David. She, she did not want her husband to see her leaving and to have an opportunity to see the, these uh, pack animals with all these supplies. So she rode on the donkey, went down under cover of the hill, and there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David is about to learn that he has become just like Saul and Nabal, desiring not peace, but war, wanting to go up to Nabal's place and um, do great harm. Now, God deals with this every single time it occurs. He deals with it. He deals with the believers. He deals with the unbelievers. Whatever is necessary to, uh, to, 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 to make the lesson known. If you remember, in Numbers chapter 22, we have a man named Balaam. And Balaam was solicited by the king of Moab, Balak, to curse the children of Israel because he was afraid of them. And against God's wishes, Balaam chose to go with, uh, uh, with, uh, Bala with Balak and his men. 
So God got in his way as he got on, as Balaam got on his donkey and began to, began to ride with them. The angel of the Lord got in the way and caused the path to be narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower for his escape until finally the donkey fell down under him and spoke to him in his language. What are you doing? What, what, have you, what are you doing to me? Have I not been faithful to you all these years? And now look what you're doing to me. So here's, here's Balaam, again, another individual, wanting his own way, wanting to do things, and there was great money invo- involved in this. That was the motivator. And, um, and uh, now he doesn't, he doesn't even realize what he's doing to his, his own faithful donkey. And uh, the Lord deals with him uh, through that whole thing. Um, now, in our story here, picking it up in verses 21 and 22, now David had said, Nabal has repaid me evil for good. I'm going to kill him and his men before dawn. Now, here comes uh, Abigail, um, and um, with uh, the supplies, and... Um, in the meantime, Nabal, David is ready to, 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 to kill Nabal and, his, and, and all his men before dawn. Verse 23, now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey. Now she's on a mission. And fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. And she said, on me, my Lord, on me let this iniquity be. What a picture of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ on our behalf. To take our sin to that cross, nail it to his cross, and set us free. Just amazing. On me, Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. So now she, she knows exactly how to approach David to be the peacemaker. And what a tremendous peacemaker she is here. Um, Verse 25 says, please, she continues speaking, please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. That name Nabal means fool. And every time I come to this passage, I, I just marvel, did Nabal's mother and father know what that meant when they named him? All right, Nabal means fool, and folly is with him, but I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. I had nothing to do with any of this. I didn't see who you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand. She doesn't really know that, does she? But how effective for her to accredit that to David as the way he's going to think. Can you imagine the conviction that came over him because of those words? Um, Now therefore, Lord, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, let the Lord, uh, since the Lord has held you back from coming to shed blood, 
to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand. Now then, let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. Now, what has the Lord taught David by Abigail's words? Um, in Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21, Paul tells us, Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Conviction. Verse 21, do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. That's what the peacemaker does, and that's exactly what Abigail has done here. Abigail has shown one of the best ways to keep the peace. Humble, attributing to David something that he, that, that he shouldn't, have been, had shouldn't have been attributed to him because he was about to, to go and kill uh, uh, Nabal and his men. And she credits him with, with more integrity than that. All right, in verses 27 through 31, Abigail gives David the gift she had brought, then asks forgiveness of him, still the humble servant, doing her job as the peacemaker. She then asks forgiveness of him and acknowledges that Saul is after him to kill him, but that God would prevail on his behalf. Now here's David's response to, Nab to Abigail's wise counsel. Verse 32, Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me, and blessed is your advice, and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. David repented. You know, this is why David, as sinful as he could be at times, and he committed some horrendous sins, as you, as you know. But he's called in Scripture a man after God's own heart. And the reason for that is very simple. That every time he, he, he sinned and failed God, he repented. Every single time. And uh, that's an admirable quality that uh, we certainly need to adopt. Uh, and have ready at all times. The desire to repent when we're wrong. A man after God's own heart. David was so impressed with Ab Abigail's godliness that after Nabal died, he married her. He was so impressed. Now, I remember back, it's, it's going back 30, 35 years. Uh, we had a couple of ladies who were faithful coming to the church, and uh, they, they both sang special music from time to time. And uh, one time, they both came on this particular Sunday prepared to sing. And they didn't realize that they were in conflict with one another concerning who was supposed to sing and who wasn't on that particular Sunday. And it broke out into a row, an absolute row. And neither one of them wanted to play the peacemaker. I mean, they were both faithful. They both had their songs ready. And how easy would it have been 
for one of them to say to the other, listen, you go ahead to this, this Sunday, I'll do mine next Sunday. How easy would that be? But it just uh, it, it broke out into a terrible row. Turn with me, if you would, to James chapter 3. It'll be up on the screen here. And in closing on this discussion, uh, let's see what James has to say about this. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, Saul, perhaps? Nabal, perhaps? David, when he was going after, about to go after Saul and his men? Perhaps? But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Powerful, powerful stuff. So, I hope that that um, I'm, I'm sure, and I don't hope, I'm sure that uh, everyone here is ready at a moment's notice to to be the play the role of the peacemaker. Um, issues can come up, and they can be uh, very difficult, and they can be troublesome. But the first desire in our hearts should be: we got to make this right. We got to make it right. And I hope that'll be your desire and your prayer going forward from this point. Let's pray. Father, we just